0: You're listening to The Retail Perch with Sheikha Raman and Gary Hawkins.
1: We're gonna discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more.
0: Hey, folks, uh, welcome back to another episode of the Retail Perch. And uh, we're into May. Spring is here. Well, and truly, weather is looking up. I hope you guys are getting vaccinated, staying safe and all that good stuff. Gary, welcome. Uh, My amazing co-host, Gary Hawkins. How are you doing?
1: Great, Shaker. Good to be with you again today. I heard you got some snow
0: in Denver. Uh,
1: We had snow yesterday morning. When I woke up, the cars were all covered, a little bit of snow. And then by last night, it was up to 65 degrees. Oh, look at that.
0: All right. So that's amazing. Anyway, to know you're doing well. And by the way, I want to definitely thank our listeners. We've had some amazing guests over the past few weeks, and we have yet another amazing guest. This is an old friend of ours that we know for many, many years. And uh, John Kramer is an amazing guy. You're going to absolutely enjoy this conversation. I don't know where it's going to go. And then there's John, but that's the fun part of this entire thing. Welcome, John. How
2: are you doing? Well, thanks a lot. I'm uh, excited to be here with you guys. You know, it's I have an eager to debate with you two retail leaders. You guys (laughs) both know me pretty well and know I have a clear point of view on the industry, but I don't get many opportunities to test drive this thinking. So I hope there's going to be a lively discussion.
0: Oh, I'm sure it's going to be, you know, I mean, we have uh, a lot of retailers who listen to this, solution providers who listen to this, and other thought leaders, and I'm sure we're going to have a fun conversation. So, John, if you can take a few minutes and uh, give us a quick background, you know, a little bio, if you will, of your own.
2: Yeah, I started in the in the advertising business and spent a lot of years doing account management for leading industry CPG leaders like Procter & Gamble and Unilever, PepsiCo, et cetera. Um, but then- Fell in love with the retail business in the, the mid-90s and started a shopper marketing agency for Gray Advertising. Um, I think it was probably the first shopper marketing agency in the country um, and did that for about 15 years and did a startup for a while, um, employing RFID technology to shopping carts. Unfortunately, that was an idea well before its time um, and then spent the, the, the last 15 years of my career at West Rock heading up their retail insights and innovation um, client interaction. And at that point, met uh, both Shaker, you and Gary as we did some pilots with uh, anal- analytic technology in store. Um, so my background in, in retail and my passion for retail has gone back for about 25, 30 years now.
0: So I remember those days doing those trials at those supermarkets and I think even the Westrock Lab, I believe we had some stuff set up and we were doing some trials. Fun days. Clearly, you've you've experimented with a lot of technologies. And I and I know that over the years, when we've spoken, John, you've always been passionate about Conversion, understanding shopper behavior in the store, how to impact that, how to get them down different aisles, and, and you know, a bunch of technologies that are really tied to shopping experience and getting insights. And what do you see? I mean, with all the stuff that we've been talking about over the years, what do you see the challenges? You know, especially after COVID, coming out of COVID, was uh, with that the, the retail industry is is facing. I think what do you, what are the imminent threats?
2: Well, I think that that's really a, a great place to start. Let me take a minute to contextualize this. First, it's my point of view that the grocery business model is basically broken. It's been built on selling tons of product at teeny tiny margins. And as a result, any small change in those in in, in that in that structure, you know, selling less product or making less money has got a huge impact. So there's really too much, in my opinion, focus on on tactics versus strategy. So, if you if you if you jump to thirty thousand feet, I think the challenges can be broken down into three major buckets: economic, sociological, and techno- and technological. From an economic standpoint, this country has been bifurcated. There's those that have, and there are those that have not. And as a retailer, you can't can't focus on either one of those groups to the exclusion of, of the other. Sociologically, it's incredible. Today, we've got almost five different demographic groups shopping at retail. Everything from baby boomers um, who are retired and in, and, and, and in empty, and empty nesters, down to you know, young adults, 18 to 24, 24, 34, who never really spent time cooking. And shop totally different. So, as a retailer, how do you how do you uh, how do you deal with 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 those five different groups? And then finally, and critically importantly, the impact of the COVID pandemic is going to accelerate everything. I mean, it's it you know I call it the great accelerator. And in an industry that's historically moved very slowly to address competitive threats, this all of the above just complicates it. So. Net, net, the speed of change is not, a, is not a friend to the retail business, to the grocery retail business. So I think those are really the, the key issues that retailers are grappling with right now. I fully agree with you, John. Um, you know, I've been talking about for a long time now the,
1: the pace of change and uh, how that is such a big challenge for traditional retailers who, as you just called out, have traditionally been very slow moving.
0: So you're calling COVID the great accelerator. And, you know, we've spoken to a bunch of retailers and I think even solution providers who basically said that we've started implementing things that we thought are going to be two, three years down the line because they didn't have a choice. They had to adapt to the environment. And, you know, I know the the cliched example that everybody uses is, is online grocery. It's a double-edged sword, right? Because online grocery is growing, which is a good thing. Uh, But at the same time, they haven't figured out how to make money. I mean, these already thin margins are being worn off because the logistical support to provide online shopping experience is higher. And they're trying to figure out how to make money at it. And so we're finding that companies that are digital native, like e-commerce only companies, have a much stronger model in terms of, fulfillment and how to, you know, uh, scale their operations. And, you know, I don't know, I see them as a threat to, you know, regular brick and mortar grocery. What, what do you see uh, in terms of, you know, what's facing uh supermarket as, you know, disruption and what could disrupt well, this
2: model? You know, the, the interesting thing is, is that the competitive environment is now so complex. So you can, you can find grocery options all across the internet you can you can get it delivered you can you can go and pick it up in the store you've got delivery services like Instacart coming on coming on on stream and so from a retail perspective and then and then think about it from a supplier perspective and what's fascinating to me is you know having been involved in the quote unquote merchandising business for the past 10 or 15 years is that if you are an impulse purchase category how do you how do you survive or an aisle avoidance category. Take confection, for example. Take snacks, for example. How do you survive in this world where all of a sudden there are 20% fewer shoppers in store? So you can't cross merchandise. So you can't try to engage people down an aisle. What do you? How do you? How do you address that? How do you address that as a retailer when you're looking at? I mean, here's a perfect example. We had to buy. My family had to buy detergent the other day. Well, why do I want to go to the when i can get on the on my computer and have detergent delivered tied delivered to me tomorrow why do i want to go to the store well i would i don't know this to be true but i would assume that detergent is a high profit category and so all of a sudden that's taken out of the store so you're you're really dealing with a very complex set of of inputs as a retailer today a very complex set of competitors today And to Gary's point, some of these competitors online have built a business model that makes sense and works. So if you're a grocery retailer, how do you start to build that out and really understand it? And I think that one of the key things that when I'm sure we'll talk about this before we're done is how retailers and their suppliers relate to each other, because it's always been a a very testy relationship. Well, that's got to change.
1: And I think it already is, right? We we had a guest on um, uh, a recent podcast that uh, really focused on doing fulfillment for CPG type brands, right? And going direct to the consumer. So I think we're seeing a growing amount of that activity. Uh, you know, alternate channels that are becoming more mainstream, you know, companies like GoPuff, Fridge No More, et cetera, are creating new models without physical stores, right? They're leveraging automated fulfillment centers strategically located to fulfill directly to consumers across an area very efficiently. So a lot of different channels to to your point here and, and how brands can go to market and how retailers go to market.
0: So clearly, John, from what you're saying, the consumer is winning because they're having more options in front of them in terms of how they access their groceries. Uh, more than ever before right uh, so the ease of shopping is uh is improving uh, for a customer but that i guess presents a, a, a challenge to retailers in terms of how to keep pace and like you said you know retailers are always struggling to figure out how to keep pace with consumer demand and so what, what do you think is, is is a path forward for retailers that want to meet consumer expectations
2: well, you know, I think we could probably talk about this one for hours, but I, I think the first place that I would start is to understand that there is a sense of urgency. I mean, we talked about, you know, the pandemic being the great accelerator. Gary mentioned the fact that retailers are just saying, hey, things that I thought I'd be thinking about in three or four years, I'm thinking about today. And I have found in my experience over, over the decades that. That retailers are, are are not quick movers, and if you, if it, there there's no sense of urgency at retail, it's always been this way. We'll sort of nip at the edges. We're not going to really deal with core issues, and there and, and there are a, a number of major issues that are coming up now that retailers need to focus with focus on. And we talked about. You know, the economic issues, we talked about the sociological issues, we talked about the technology changing at, at, at speeds that we have never seen before. And that if retailers don't get a sense of urgency around understanding their business better, it is really, in my opinion, the death knell of, of a of a number of them. Secondly, I think that my experiences, and Gary, this is something that you you could probably comment on. Is that retailers are very siloed. You know, merchandising doesn't necessarily interact with buying, doesn't necessarily interact with supply chain. There's not a lot of cross-training. They don't understand the business as a business. Okay. And that goes all the way down to the floor, all the way down to the people that are working on the floor. And that if you if you if you compensate these these in this in-store personnel, your 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 front line. Against your customer, against your consumer, then and you pay them no money, then that really comes back to haunt you, because the relationships in the store are so incredibly important. And then I think that the third thing is this that we talked about it a little bit, this integration with their suppliers. I mean, the suppliers have a boatload of money, and that is their primary outlet, their primary primary way today when retail is so fragmented and it's hard to to connect with the the consumer, the shopper is where the rubber meets the road. And there's all kinds of research that supports that. I mean, Popeye's been doing research for 40 years that say that somewhere in the neighborhood of 70% of purchase decisions are made in the store. So there there, there is a need for more marketing. There's a need for more integration. There's a need for more partnership. There's a need that I, I think going back to the first thing we talk about the the, the the traditional grocery business model is irrevocably broken. So it's partnership, it's 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 integration of, of of departments, it's 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 realizing the importance of your in-store personnel is really what's critical to start to and and then understanding the shopper behavior. I mean that that goes without being said. It really is critical to the future. Yeah,
1: so so I agree. And, you know, there's a lot of points you just brought up there. Um, I, I think that we are absolutely going to see a major shakeout in the industry over the next several years, as a growing number of retailers just can't keep pace, they can't change uh, enough or fast enough. Uh, that being said, I think those that do survive, will begin to figure some of this out, right? I mean, supermarket retailers, uh, you know, as, as you called out, John, have a long history of surviving and, and you know, in many cases, thriving on an incredibly thin profit margin business. They are very operationally focused. Uh, they're very tactical. And I, I think those skills and expertise will serve them well, as some retailers are going to figure out how to do online profitably and fulfill those orders I see a lot of work going on there, but the other thing you brought up is around in store and even though twenty percent of sales give or take you know are expected to be moving online, in my mind that just puts more focus and importance on what's going on in the store and making in-store as profitable as possible and engaging and, and so on, right? John, we you've done a lot of work in this space over the years. You know, I've had exposure to the in-store space for some time. I, I think we're going to see in-store begin to mature as a practice, right? As you see more and more Uh, computer vision coming into the store, Amazon Go-like systems, smart carts, other things are going to really light up that store, digitize it, and provide all the data. Then retailers have to get smart and understand what to do with that data, how to
2: use it to convert it to sales and and profit. But, yeah, that's that's why I was excited about spending time with you guys today, because uh, you and I have been having this conversation now I it's 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 murky in the past for me but i've got to say that it's got to be at least 10 to 12 years that you and i have been having the same yes. exact conversation yes and we talked you talked about it a little up front but I have long felt that conversion shopper conversion is the single most important metric in retail especially in grocery and and we have and that that conversion that is is the percent of shoppers that stop at a certain location and either buy or don't buy. And we have found in in, in research over many, 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 many years that as small as a 1% change in conversion represents tens of millions of do- on a on, on a on a category basis, represents tens of millions of dollars to the retailer in terms of sales. And so conversion ought to be critically important to retailers. They it should be critically critically important to suppliers. And yet today to the best of my knowledge there is no retailer in the United States of America, no no store-based retailer in the United States of America that is measuring conversion in their stores. And this to me is not low-hanging fruit. It's fruit that's lying on the ground, because there's yeah. so much technology that's that an inexpensive technology that's available to do that. It's Shaker, it what you're doing with bird's eye. Right. Um, Sylvania has a light bulb that you can now use to track all of that information, so it saves money on, on your lighting bill. It allows you to 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 highlight different categories with different kind of light, and it gives you all of that data. To understand conversion, so the the technology is there, the knowledge is there, and yet it's just not happening. So that's to me the frustration that that I go through a lot with retail.
0: So uh, John, just uh, rewinding a little bit, when you talk about shopper conversion, can you define exactly what you mean by shopper conversion for our listeners?
2: Yeah, I think if you think about it as a as a funnel, right? If you look at at all the shoppers that walk in the store, I mean that's your that's your if you were a media if you are a media company, for mm-hmm. example, that's your target. You know, that's your potential audience. That's your that's the the total number of of eyeballs or foot footfalls that you can. And then a certain percentage of that audience gets to a location in the store and a certain percentage of that audience stops and evaluates, hey, I'm interested in this category. And do they buy or they walk away? But a high in, 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 in every category that we've studied a very high percentage of people that stop at a location do not purchase and walk away. So if we can change 1% of either the people that get to that category or change the people that walk away to people who purchase, there's a huge, big, big number there. And that is should be critically, critically important to retailers. It should be critically important to manufacturers, to their suppliers. And so understanding that that conversion percent, the percent of people at stop and buy versus stop and walk away is critically, is critically important. And in my opinion, again, the single most important metric in at retail.
0: Thanks for explaining that. But so so what do you think are ways to impact conversion? What can a oh, retailer do? Oh, okay, I have this that, metric, I have this metric. You know, there's only five percent of the people walking to my store are walking into this aisle, the snack aisle. And I want well, to improve that. What's uh, what do you think is there's
2: one so there's so many ways to do it. Okay. There's uh, there's signage, there's aisle reinvention, there's cross promotion, <laughs> there's all the things that retailers are really good at, but you don't know how to how to how to apply these tools against a problem if you don't know what the problem is. And so that's really where partnership, and that's really where shopper marketing has to go. I mean, we've—I mean, shopper marketing has been around. I don't know. I mean, I started an agency in 1994, but shopper marketing really came into into vogue in 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 the late 90s, early part of the of, of the millennium. And it's it's always been about promotion. It's always been, but it's not about traditional marketing to the shoppers that walk in the store because you don't understand what they do once once a shopper walks into a store in my opinion it's a big black hole where do they go where do they stop where do they buy where do they not buy right. where do they buy i mean so all of this all of this data is available and to me it's as i said it's it's not even low-hanging fruit it's fruit that's lying on the ground all you got to do is pick it up
1: Yeah, and John, I'll I'll bolster what you're saying. And, you you know, you and I were we're involved with this space, as you called out 10 or 12 years ago, doing some work here, right? We both know how powerful this is and the potential of this. You know, I would go so much as to say, I think this represents probably the single largest opportunity for retailers to drive sales and margin uh, that, that they have today. Uh, inside the store is it's virgin greenfield territory um and i i do think we were really early 10 or 12 years ago looking at this i i think that it is finally time for the space to mature. And what I'm seeing happen is, as you've called out, more and more data being available. I think we're gonna see that data become syndicated here pretty soon, which is gonna start providing brands information. Uh, it's gonna get linked back to sales. I think that will help drive uh, some some metrics to look at, comparisons, et cetera. Um, but I, I also am beginning to see some retailers focus on this now. And I, I think this is going to be driven from a couple of perspectives. You know, one is, you know from the category level, uh, category managers understanding the power of this, executing different promotions, merchandising tactics, et cetera, to drive conversion rates. Um, I'm seeing a growing number of retailers really focused on the customer now. And b- driving customer analytics to the store level, including rewarding store managers, store level people around customer metrics, you know, retention rates, that type thing. I think this becomes another piece of that.
2: You know, it's funny. i I, I know you're starting to see it, but I, I just I feel that it is so alien to the core business. Of retailers, which is just you know pushing more product through the store, that you know I struggled for so many years to get and 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 really you know took the the largest issue off the table: who was going to pay for this? I struggled for so many years getting retailers to try to understand this this metric, even volunteering to cover all of their costs. That I, I just it, it 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 really takes such a major change. I just question how fast. They're going to get to it, number one. And I question whether the competitive environment is going to leave them in the dust.
1: Yes, but I think one of the other things, and Shaker, maybe you can speak to for a minute. I know Birdseye is working on some reporting and analytics to help the retailer understand, you know, for their weekly ad products, what's happening, what sales are they driving, but being able to link that back, I believe, to location in the store. I I think having that kind of data available is going to start to open a lot of eyes.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think definitely, I think uh, being able to correlate what you're putting on your weekly ad, what TPRs you have, how can that help uh, drive traffic to different parts of the store, enable this cross-pollination of categories uh, and brands. I think it's all, you know, fascinating stuff. And I think where retailers tend to struggle is, understanding what tools are out there how to get them integrated together to work in an effective manner, right? Because like you said, John, they're so operationally focused that uh, they lack a lot of resources for innovation and integration and and finding and how do you, you know, there's a, a zillions of startups out there that have amazing solutions. But for a retailer who is so operationally focused to go out and spec these tools out, figuring out how to build a solution out of it, it's challenging. And I'm wondering if if brands and suppliers have some role to play in coming together to find that solution.
2: There is absolutely no question that, you know, it's when the retailers have have relied on their suppliers to fund profits for so many years, right? within off off invoice offers and promotional offers that they've taken to the bottom line but now it's time to sit down with suppliers and go hey we need we need your help to help us understand our business in your categories and i think that that's perfectly legitimate but when you've when you've got a an organization at the at the retail level that is so siloed and you've got buyers focused on bringing product in at the lowest possible price, instead of talking to suppliers about strategy and about um, planning and about conversion, Gary, both both you and Shaker and I have been involved with this for, for decades now, is that there's no reason why there shouldn't be test beds, where there shouldn't be test and control stores, where you can look at the impact of something. And it may very well be that this is a new department at retail, let's call it the innovation department, let's call it you know, the, the, the future think department. I, I, don't, I don't know what the, the right moniker would be, but in essence, making people responsible to be testing the latest technology in their stores in a test and control environment. It's not a, a multi-million dollar investment, it's a, it's a small investment. To understand how to maximize the the footprint of the store,
0: the image that flashed to me is you know a few years ago, and Best Buy, the electronics retailer, was in trouble, and they had to kind of reinvent themselves in terms of how do they compete with the uh, you know online retailers like Amazon, and obviously what they did is they created a brand centric experience within their stores, where they had smaller stores within their stores, whether it's Amazon or Samsung or Apple, and it completely transformed their business. Uh, in fact, I was on uh, a, I think, a clubhouse room, and uh, there was somebody who was on the board of Best Buy in one of those rooms talking about it, and they started experimenting with the Magnolia sound rooms all the way in the back. Right. And they use that as a test bed to see hey, can we get traffic for people who are home theater specific and give them an experience that's exclusive? And they took that idea and then implemented the Samsung stores and the Amazon, the Apple. And I'm just wondering, maybe that's a it's a model worth looking into. I know it's it kind of completely shake up the current store layout uh, for most retailers. But, you know, hey, there's five or six big brands. You have the Nestle's and the Kellogg's and the Crafts and the Mondelez and Coke. Maybe there's an argument to say, hey, let's create these brand-centric experiences. It becomes more interesting and you walk into a store. I think it's, uh, you know, sort of going up and down the aisles. You have these, you know, just thinking loud here. You know.
2: Well, if I had a dollar for every time I'd been to a retailer to talk about, "Quote unquote aisle reinvention," uh, or talk about uh, creating more excited excitement in the store. You'd be talking to me from Hawaii, where I'd be sitting on the beach drinking a pina colada. I think that all all of that is legitimate, and it sort of goes back to Gary's point: is okay. So, how do you create excitement in the store? And there's so many ways to do it. Okay, there's so many ways to do it, but you can't know if it works until you try it. And that's where the test and control strategy comes in play, and it it's it's so logical. I mean, so for example, and Gary, you know this better than than I do for sure. How many times a supplier comes in and goes, "Hey, I got this new product idea. It's a, it's incredible. We've done this research. It's incredible. You've got to re- reset your shelf and put this new product in." Well, you know, the thing that makes me laugh is every time I go into a grocery store, I walk down. You, know, you walk down the beverage aisle, if you took a shot of the beverage aisle 25 years ago versus now, there's more product in that aisle than you got hairs on your head. You look at the toothpaste aisle. I mean, there is product for every, I mean, it's huge. And Gary, you may know the, 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 the data point, but I, I think I've read that 40% of the product in the store doesn't sell one unit a month. So yeah. Think about if you could reduce your SKUs by 40%, how much more space you'd have and how much more excitement you could have in that space. Well, these are all numbers that are, that are critically important to grocery retail, because it talks to efficiency, it talks to profit margins, it talks to effectiveness with your shopper, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera.
0: Yeah. No, I guess it goes back to the the, the willingness to do some testing and control, right and uh how do you take your eye away from the operational focus that you have and say hey if i don't do these things i can't reinvent myself and i can't stay alive in the future and thrive in the future while other people are willing to do that so
1: shaker just building on that, therein lies the problem right that traditional retailers are just loathe to make any changes you know especially if they're uh successful and you know, uh, believe it or not, over the past year during these, you know, trying times for nearly everyone, the supermarket industry has had a good year. You know, that many uh, grocery retailers are coming off, you know, a year of, of uh, significant sales increases, uh, profit increases, etc. They're sitting pretty good. Now, you know, I think the smart ones Realize it's not going to last forever, and indeed it's already beginning to to uh, uh, plateau a bit. And they're looking at and investing in the future and what comes next. Um, but retailers are, are loath to make any changes if things are going good. And I almost think that's human nature. Um, and I think the the biggest challenge here is overcoming that that inertia that you know. Everything's good. I don't want to change anything. You know, we've got a business built on on penny profit. I,
2: I can't shake the boat here at all. Right. right, and that's that's an interesting starting point, Gary. Because at the same time, it's been a great year for for grocery retail. The flip side of that coin, the other side of that equation, is that shoppers have had the opportunity to test and explore. Other ways of getting their groceries. Okay. Yeah. So while a raising tide rises all boats, I mean people aren't going out to eat the way they used to. There's they're they're cooking at home more, etc. 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 At the same time, they've had a chance to test delivery and DoorDash and Instacart and all of those other um, forms of getting their groceries. So the the it shouldn't it it shouldn't take a brain surgeon to understand that we have gone through a very unusual year. I mean, people have been essentially cooped up um, in their in their in their houses. So the the problem then becomes, and I've had friends say to me, I don't know why I would ever go into a retail store again, a grocery store again, because I'm getting everything delivered. It's great. It works. All good. I mean I know that everybody that I know the first place they go when they when they're looking for something is Amazon. And Amazon's whole approach to the world fail fast fail cheap is a strategy for tomorrow. Grocery stores as you just articulated Gary where I don't want to shake the boat, I don't want to make any changes, that's that's day before yesterday's strategy. Yeah. And, and how they get how they get dragged into the twenty first century is a very interesting dilemma to me.
0: John, this has been an amazing discussion so far. We've got a few minutes left here, and I want to maybe talk, talk about you know what you're seeing out there on the horizon in terms of technologies that are coming in to address some of these problems. Any
2: thoughts? Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. There's there's there is so much technology out there that I've spent a lot of time bashing the retail industry over the past half hour. But you know, I also have a lot a great deal of sensitivity. I mean, my daughter works as a store manager for a major retailer. I listen to her every night and the and the pain that she goes through. You know, we we talked last night and somebody stole the forklift. <laughs> so they couldn't unpack any. They couldn't <laughs> unpack any of the product because the forklift was gone. So I mean, it's it is it is a incredibly complex, complicated industry. I I acknowledge that, but to the same point, the 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 technology around understanding how to activate the shoppers that are in your store. I mean, figuring out home delivery, figuring out buy online pick up in the store. Those are sort of tactical things. Okay. And, and that's something that retailers are great at, tactics, but they're not strategic. So, yes. you know, if you look at technologies that that help understand in-store shopper behavior, and there are supplier budgets that exist to do nothing but that. And all you gotta do is ask. Okay, there's there's multiple million dollars of budget available. So, you know, and I don't want to do an advertisement for bird's eye, but I think that that's a fascinating technology that needs to be explored in terms of how you understand and offer shoppers a unique experience when they're in their store. Sylvania, as I said, has has a product that you could match with the bird's eye product to enable understanding of that conversion behavior. There's cool stuff like advertising on, on refrigerator doors. Um, why isn't that getting more exposure? Their TV screens have been tried and tested, but now there's interactive TV screens. So there's so, there's so many ways, there's so many things that are out there that, that are that are enablers to drive more profit, to drive more volume, to drive more efficiency to the shoppers that are in the store that need to be explored. right? And this test and control environments, five stores, four stores. I mean, right. it doesn't take a lot because there's so many, the, the, the fascinating thing about retail is there's so many humans that walk through the door store every day. And just to close this down, what is the, the single thing that's most frustrating to me is every time we've tried to put in a test and control environments, both retailers and their suppliers would go, well, is that nationally projectable? Frankly, I don't care if it's nationally projectable. I don't give a damn. I just want to know, am I creating more closure, Right. right? right.
0: No, makes total sense. I mean, took down a lot of interesting things that you said, you know, COVID being the great accelerator, customers now have more channels to access the store. That should create a sense of urgency in trying to help understand, you know, how conversion works for the retailer. And changing conversion even by 1% can have a massive impact on your bottom line. And there's a bunch of technologies clearly available to understand how to impact conversion, You know, do some testing control and make uh, be bold about reinventing the store inside. Right. And yep. uh, I think it's all terrific points, John. It's been a great, great conversation. Gary, any
1: points before so, we go? Uh, we're we're going to have to get John back on because of we're scratching the surface. Of that. I know. I know. So, you
0: know, you know, we could go on all day about this yeah. job, right? And more. Yeah, right. right? So it's been a great, great conversation. Thank you again, I know, for jumping on the show. I've been thinking about getting you on for a while and you know, thankfully, you, I think we must have had some telepathy going on when you yep. picked up the phone and called me back about a week ago. So, but this has been fantastic. I also want to thank all our listeners who've been at it, uh, listening to us week after week. In fact, I got an email today, Gary, that uh, we've been featured on some other list is some of the top grocery podcasts. Yeah. So, yes, uh, I gotta congratulate Gary because I largely think it's happening because of him and the guests are on. I'm just <laughs> yeah. like a mediator here, mm. and also to Stephanie who's done a great, great job of editing the show and uh, taking care of all the audio issues that we put together here, and coordinating the guests. You know, frankly, she's the one who sends the emails out, sets up the whole conversation. So I want to thank you guys and all the listeners who are constantly uh, supporting us in. Keeping this going, so I want to wish everybody out there a safe spring and going into summer. Get yourself vaccinated, take care of stuff. Let's go back to the living uh, life of the living here and get out of our homes. And John, thank you again so much for being on the show. And you will, if you provide us your address, receive a retail perch coffee mug. Oh so my goodness, <laughs> that'll be on your <under laughs> way. And, and so the next time we're on the show, you're going to be having that coffee mug. In fact, that's the. That's the only way you get back on the show. You've got to have coffee at the coffee park
2: that we set out. If, if, if we do it, if we do this early morning or 9 30 meeting, we'll for sure have coffee in my hand.
0: Hey, we can do it earlier if you yeah. want. Gary's exactly. up pretty early. So, all right. Thank you so much, John. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at the Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook.
1: And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at the Retail Perch at Birdseye.com.
0: Until next time, this is Shaker.
1: And this is Gary, signing off.